Psalm 19, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. <clears throat> the, Lord of, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent, of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Well, I want to uh, start by asking you two, or asking two questions, giving you two questions that you may have heard before. I'm pretty sure you have. Uh, Most Christians uh, will have heard this question at some point, and uh, Uh, whether that be from their Christian friends or whether they've asked them themselves or from those that may not yet be believers, again, have asked the question. So question number one, I think, is a believer's question. What happens to those who've never heard about God? Have you heard that question before? What happens to those who've never heard about God? And the second question is the unbeliever's question. Uh, And uh, uh, that question is simply, where is God? You see the emphasis of both of those ones. For the believer who might recognise that God exists but worries about those who don't think he does, what happens to those who have never heard it? And then there's the unbelievers who who doesn't necessarily want to recognise God, so the question is, where is God? Well, Psalm 19 brings together the specific spoken word of God and it places it alongside the general unspoken word of God. And it calls those who can hear to speak. Okay? Psalm 19 brings together the specific words of God. It places it alongside the general unspoken words of God, and it calls those who can hear to speak. I notice on the top of your outline it says the words the matter. It's supposed to be words that matter, because the words we're going to hear do matter. 
And it's important for us to be able to get our heads around that one. So let's have a look at Psalm 19 together and see what it is that we can learn from God this morning. Uh, Psalm 19, you can see there, for the director of music, a Psalm of David, that's King David. And it starts from verse 1 with a glorious phrase, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. The heavens declare, they go, what it does is it, it goes on and it describes things that can be seen in our world under the heavens. A day like today is a great day to make that point, isn't it? When the heavens open up and make it as glorious as they are and they make it very clear that there is, <laughs> there is something amazing going on. The point is that the world that we live in displays many wonderful things. It's hard to disagree given the wonders that are available to us. The blue skies, the endless beaches, the colourful sunsets, the storm clouds with the stormy winds and the, and the rains that, that, that just pour on through, the high mountain ranges with the deep cut valleys and the magnificent waterfalls. The sun and moon and stars backed up with the galaxies beyond, which down here you see so much more clearly than those that live in Adelaide get to see. And it's not just the geography. It is so many other things that can captivate humanity. The cuteness and the awe of a newborn baby. The wonders of language and diversity, the intricacies of the human body, what it can or cannot do, the differences from person to person to person to person such that no two in the world are alike, the variation in the endless species of animal, mammal, bird, fish, bug. It's the unexplained the genuine, the amazing with qualities that stop humanity at times and cause them to look on in wonder. You see, the world displays the wonders from the heavens down. And if you're someone willing to acknowledge God as maker, that means that those wonders are attributed to God above. This psalm starts by pointing out that no part of creation is silent about God's glory. There is something to be said and creation is saying it and saying it over and over and over. Look at the first few verses and note how creation speaks. I've also put it up on the, on the PowerPoint. Thank you, mate. Um, you can see that, that, that creation speaks in very speech-orientated ways. It declares, it proclaims, it pours forth speech. No spe- there's no speech or language where, where a voice is not heard. And that voice goes out into all the... The words that go out go to the end of the world. Creation speaks. We don't need the Bible to tell us that God exists and that he is magnificent because his creation does that for him. You're thinking, my goodness, I'm in a Trinity church and you've just heard, we don't need the Bible to hear that God exists. (laughs) 
no, 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 no. Make sure that we recognise what it is that, that what's being saying here. We don't need the Bible to tell us something that even creation can testify to. That God exists and he's magnificent. If someone suggests that God doesn't exist, then don't blame God for not talking. Blame them for not listening or not looking. Because what is on display all around is God's work. It's hard to accept that God doesn't exist when his works are there for all to see. And those that get, get to live in beautiful places like here um, have all the more reason to be able to point to that. Uh, when I first came to Australia, my father took me to Bondi Beach in New South Wales. And he said, son, here is the most famous beach in the world. This long strip of land, of sand that's there. And I looked out across beyond the sand into the water that was before us and just saw gallons and gallons and liters and liters and liters, but gallons and gallons of this little Yankee kid of water in front of us and thought, wow, that's amazingly beautiful. It's hard to accept that God doesn't exist when his works are there for all to see. And for the believer who's worried about the person in the world that has never heard about God, then take heart because Psalm 19 helps us see that that person doesn't exist. For all see that which is declared and proclaimed under the heavens. We all know about exams. Few Few of us like them. Now, the worst exam is the one which is asking you what you haven't studied. That's not the way it is with God. He does not ask of anyone what they don't know. He has given you the paper. He asks of you what he has clearly put on display. The message from the heavens is glorious and it's there for all to see. And verses 5 to 6 illustrate that a little bit further for us. Like the sun, radiant and seen everywhere. In other words, saying there is nothing that is hidden from its heat. There's nothing that can't necessarily be seen there. Uh, And like a bridegroom, he talks about a bridegroom coming out from his bridal chamber following his his wedding night. Any newlywed you know will illustrate that kind of joy. Like the champion, the athlete, beaming at his or her win. We saw that last night with Wimbledon. The beaming victor as they walk away with the trophy for a sixth time. The creation rejoices. In the heavens there is something that needs to be said. God is not hiding. He is there to see. And yet, we all know people who will still deny the existence of God. As glorious as this display of God's glory is, it is limited. 
When God says something about himself, it's called revelation. That is, that which is revealed. When God says something about himself, it's called revelation. And the revelation that we see in the opening verses of this psalm are are what's called general revelation. And one of the things about this type of... Not this type of revelation, if you can go back to where we were. Uh, One of the types of things that you can see of that general revelation is that it's limited. At times, it's ambiguous. It's not directive. It it doesn't ask us to live in any particular way. It doesn't instruct us. And that's where the second part of this psalm is magnificent. Psalm 7 to 11, uh, verses 7 to 11 give us revelation of God that is specific, particular, and instructive. It's what's called special revelation because it is unambiguous in what it's saying. You notice straight away, look from verse 7, straight away that the general revelation of verse 1, which declares from the heavens the glory of God, using God's general name, it's been changed in verse 7 And following from that point, it speaks of the Lord using his personal name. Can you see the change from God, general name, to Lord in capital letters, his specific, his personal name? It's the reason why the Bible, uh, your Bible should put the words Lord in capital letters. It shows that that's his personal name. This is a special revelation. What we are about to hear is what God specifically once said. And there are six titles here for God's written word. Okay, so as you go through those verses, okay, now we can have a look at at the different types. Next slide, if it's okay. You'll see the different types of written uh, words. So there's the law, the statutes, the precepts, the commands, the fear, the ordinances that are there. So the law, that is instructions. It's not just commands, it's the instructions of the Lord. The statutes of the Lord, that is, the, that is a testimony of what is valid and true. The precepts of the Lord, uh, they are applications to small details in life. So it, it's where God might say particular things that, that will relate to a small, very specific area of our life. There's the commands of the Lord, uh, orders, directives, thou shalt type of, uh, of uh, commands. There's the fear of the Lord, which, which in many ways talks about the, the, uh, the, the uh, reverence and respect that is due, uh, that should be given, that should motivate us in the way that we do what we do. And there's the ordinances, the rules and verdicts of God on thoughts and actions. So there's, uh, we can get caught up in all of the details of the different style, uh, types there. But the fact that they're all put there in such a short little section helps us understand something of the way God speaks. These are the words of the Lord. These are the words he would like obeyed. If it reminds you of anything today, it should remind you of the Bible, the place where we find the specific words of God. One of the key characteristics of the word is its specific nature. There is less guessing. When you look to creation, when you look to the stars, to the world, and you ask, what does God want me to do? There's no specific answer. On Friday, driving back from Tony and Corin Harding's place, 
um, down a dirt road uh, near Yankalilla, and uh, my son looked out the window and he said, Dad, the stars are so bright. So we stopped, turned the headlights off, got out of the car and looked up at this magnificent vista. Now, as magnificent as that is, it doesn't tell me what God wants of me to do. It doesn't give me any specific instructions. I don't know how it is that I should respond to whatever circumstance it might be in my life. There is nothing I can get from other than the fact that it's, it's glorious. It doesn't give me those specific instructions. But in looking at the Bible, you can't dodge the specifics that easy. He speaks straight into our lives with specific detail. Now, my experience as a pastor is that people seem less worried about the parts of the Bible that are cryptic, but are actually more bothered by the passages of Scripture that are most plain and clear. Most of the debates that I end up in are over passages of Scripture that are (laughs) abundantly clear, that the only way to heaven is Jesus, that all people are sinners, that God created the world by his word, that God sent Jesus to become man, to die so that people could live forever, that stealing, lying, lust and immorality are wrong, that marriage is a good thing and that sex is made for marriage and that marriage is between a man and a woman. Now, all of those things are plain and clear in Scripture. Yet it's those things that we are often finding ourselves debating about. There's lots of other things you could debate about. They're a lot more incidental. But those types of things are very plain and clear. And yet we debate about them as if they are foggy, as if they are not that clear. I don't think it's that uncommon in South Australia to find people that would say that, that they believe that there's a God, but that the problem they have with Christianity is that it holds to some things in the Bible which they just don't want to agree with. And friends, that's the problem. If the Word of God gives you specific instruction from the Lord, then obedience will be measured specifically. If the Word of God gives you specific instruction, then obedience will be measured specifically. Faith is not a general ambiguous notion. It is specific. It is instructed. It is a call to arms, a call to belief. The words of the Lord should be obeyed. And look at the quality of the words. In many ways, these words match what we know the nature of the, uh, of the, of the Lord himself. So we, we can see how that looks. So from verse 7, you can see that as they go. They are perfect. These words are perfect, trustworthy, right, radiant, pure, 
sure and altogether righteous, more precious than gold and sweeter than honey, as we've, as we've heard in the kids' talk today. Any author puts something of themselves into the words that they write. Here, in the words of the Lord, it shouldn't be a surprise that the qualities of the word itself reflect the character of the one who ultimately wrote it. Perfect, trustworthy, right, radiant, pure, sure and altogether right, righteous, precious and sweet. But there's more. We've looked at the words spoken. We've looked at the nature of the words. Now consider the benefit of the words to us. They are a great blessing and they have great effect. Look at this. These words are good for reviving the soul, for making wise the simple, for giving joy to the heart, in giving light to the eyes. They are words which endure forever. And then verse 11, in keeping them, there is great reward. For the one who follows these words, there is great reward. And and because the words are the words of the Lord, it is by those words that error is exposed. Not the error of God, our error our faults. It is God who forgives and he has given his word so that all know how to live for him. It is God who forgives and he has given his specific word so that we all know how to live for him. I have young children and they are at an age, as you've seen today, Uh, when at times I have to lay down the law, I have to be specific in what it is that I'm asking them to do. To be most helpful for my children when I'm asking them to do what they do, that clarity can be a burden for them, but it can be a very helpful thing. Son, please go and get dressed. No, don't stop on the way. No, don't punch your sister. Yes, put the school uniform on. Son, don't put it on inside out. That's right. Try putting your undies on first. Yes, son, I understand it's difficult to do today what I ask you to do every day of your life, but I'm not asking you to, I'm not going to let you walk out the door with your slippers on your hands. Yes, son, try putting the shoes on that match. Yes, that's right, on your feet. Thanks. Thank you for getting dressed. What's that? It's Saturday. Why did I get you to wear your school uniform? Don't complain. I just did. I have to be specific with the commands that's there. And you see, God's word is specific. One of the wonderful benefits of having God's clear word is that it keeps those who follow them from willful sins. And the person who follows them, they live blameless lives and they are kept innocent from transgression. Now, you see what that does is it actually works as one of those wonderful tools for you. If you're anything like me, maybe you're not, but but there are so many sins that I just want to do. 
But yet the specific word of the Lord says, don't do that. Without that specific instruction, I might very well just go and do it. It is the word that guides the path. It is the roadmap towards godliness for those who wish to follow it. It is the godly GPS that never gets it wrong. And yet most of us would know that temptation to go, I know better than the GPS, I'll just do it my way. Without clear and specific instruction, the servant of the Lord may falter. They are words that bring about change. Well, Psalm 19 brings together unspoken and general words about God and spoken and specific words of the Lord. And together, they give the hearer, whomever they might be, the opportunity to respond with intelligence, credibility, and obedience. These are words for me. These are words that inform, but more importantly, they transform. And one of the most important ways that they transform is that they save. Psalm 19 is quoted elsewhere in the Bible. It's quoted, in one place it's quoted, is Romans chapter 10. I wonder if you would turn there with me. It's on page 1135 of the Bibles you've got there. Romans chapter 10. Uh, it, it is a part, it's part of a discussion by the Apostle Paul about his desire to see and hear the words of God proclaimed to his own people, the descendants of Israel, to the Jews. And I want to pick it up from verse 13. Okay, Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? And consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Paul wants everyone to call on the name of the Lord because he knew that they would be saved by it. And he knew that faith came through hearing the message. But his problem was the same problem that we experience today. Not everyone accepts the word. You can see that, verse 16. It makes very clear that not all the Israelites accepted the good news. This is not all of those who were the people of God. Not even they accepted this good news. It was not that they hadn't heard 
Verse 18, where it quotes Psalm 19, makes clear that the general word of God will still hold his people to account even if they won't accept it. But notice that Paul recognises that the specific word of the Lord matters. In verse 17, that specific word of the Lord is the message of Christ. For those who read the Psalms after Jesus... God's revelation most clearly comes when his word became flesh. When Jesus came as a man. I take it that one of the reasons why you've set up Trinity South Coast, bless you, is that many in this beautiful and amazing part of the world will hear the message of Christ and be saved. How beautiful are your feet? That is awesome. So up front, I said there are two questions. The believer's question, what happens to those who have never heard about God? What's the answer that Psalm 19 gives? Everyone hears about God. They will hear it from the heavens. But if we want them to hear it specifically, we need to tell them about Jesus. And the unbeliever's question, where is God? Well, the answer is, friend right before you. But let me show you in his word so that you can see him most clearly and then tell him the word of Christ. Friends, it seems to me that from something as old as Psalm 19 that today we can see the importance of the Word of God in our lives, whether that be each day, each week, what we do here, what we do wherever it is that we might work or retire or play or recreate. Psalm 19 finishes with a prayer, finishes with this prayer. It's a prayer which makes these words our words. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Shall I pray that for us now? Let's pray. Lord and Father, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be so ever-pleasing to you. You are our rock and our redeemer.
Amen. Thanks for having me, everyone.